All right, it is the Zach Gelb Show, coast to coast on CBS Sports Radio. What happened with the Jacksonville Jaguars last night should surprise nobody. Because if you paid attention to the Jaguars this season, you knew they could be a good team, but up against the better opponents, especially at all places, their home building in Jacksonville, they don't show up. And this is coming from someone. That before the season, I was like, look at the Jaguars' schedule. They play in a bad division. They have a Super Bowl-winning head coach in Doug Peterson. You have this supposedly transcendent quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. You finally got competent coaching for T-Law last year. They go to the playoffs. They have that crazy comeback up against the Chargers where they're down 27 points. And then they lose in the second round of the playoffs against Kansas City. But this year, even with someone... And this is why I'm disappointed with them, where I was optimistic about the Jaguars. I thought the Jaguars could actually be the number two or number one seed before the season started. Not that they had the talent where it's like, oh, wow, they're the one or the the, the second best team in the AFC. But their schedule looks so easy peasy before the start of the season. And also, no one thought the Texans were going to be any good. No one thought the Colts were going to be any good. And we knew Tennessee wasn't going to be a good football team. Now, we were wrong on the Texans. We were wrong on the Colts. I don't even know if we were wrong about them. Just no one knew that they were capable of doing something like this this quickly. And now as we enter the final three weeks of the season, all three of those teams are sitting there with the same record of 8-6. and six. But that Jaguars team, I, I don't think I've done a 180 on a team as quick from what I pushed in the offseason to then give up on them as quickly as I gave up on them in week two. Because in week two, they were coming off a week one performance against Indianapolis where they had to come on back to take down the Indianapolis Colts. And then in week two, they had the Chiefs coming in. And this was a Chiefs team that they were they lost to the Lions. Yes, they were getting Kelsey back. Yes, they got Chris Jones, or they were in the process of getting Chris Jones back. But it's like... That offense, you knew, had problems. And that offense still has problems as we sit her through week 15 of the season. And in that game, it wasn't as if Kansas City did anything sensational on the offensive side of the ball. They only scored nine points in the game. You know, Jacksonville Jaguars. The final score was 17-9. Like, you go back to that game. If I would have told you before week two that Kansas City was only scoring 17 points against the Jaguars, you would have said, Zach, How many points did the Jaguars win? But Jacksonville only put up nine points. So then the rest of the season starts to play out. And a few weeks ago, the 49ers come into town. Now, we all know the 49ers are one of the best teams in football, but they were not in a strong part of their uh, season at that point. And the 49ers walked right into Jacksonville. They put their feet up. (laughs) They drank the Jaguars beer. They ate their popcorn. They they made their steaks. And they won the game 34-3. And that was two moments this year up against better competition teams in Duval of all places where it wasn't just that the Jaguars lost. It was their offense with all this talent that they have with Trevor Lawrence and Calvin Ridley and Travis Etienne, Evan Ingram, Christian Kirk at the time, like all these names and Jacksonville just had a no-show in two Two big games of their season. And last night, I thought the Ravens were going to win. I picked the Ravens to cover the the spread, and I I picked them 23-17. to 
but I at least thought thought the Jaguars would show up. And I know Trevor Lawrence now has a concussion and he's in concussion protocol. But in that first half, it's not as if the the Baltimore Ravens did like anything that was overwhelmingly outstanding. You know, Lamar is a wizard. Lamar extends plays like no quarterback that we've ever seen. But that game was right there for the taking. And their offense missed two field goals. Trevor Lawrence, when they finally were starting to drive the football, fumbles the ball. And then at the end of the half... They were in field goal range, and you had a player with no timeouts get tackled in bounds, and the time ran off. I don't care what the score was at that point. I don't care what halftime speech Doug Peterson was about to give. You knew the Jaguars, even in a 10-0 game, were donezo. Because it was the same things happening that transpired up against Kansas City and San Francisco on your home turf where the offense, inexcusably, with the coaching power and the talent that you have, they just didn't know how to show up. They didn't know how to execute. They didn't know how to finish off drives and put the ball in the end zone. So Jacksonville, even though they could still win the AFC South, even though they could still make the playoffs, they are the team in the NFL this year that I'm most disappointed in. And... The only one that could also rival that is Seattle. Because similarly to the way that I viewed Jacksonville, I viewed the Seahawks, where I thought the Seahawks could be the third best team in the NFC before the season started. Without question, we knew it was the Eagles and the 49ers. But I looked at Seattle with DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, drafting Jackson Smith and Jigba. You have Kenneth Walker, Zach Charbonnet, the two youngsters in the secondary, and a great coach in Pete Carroll. I thought Seattle was going to be a really damn good team where they would be the fifth seed in the NFC because the 49ers win the division, but you wouldn't want to face Seattle come playoff time. And to start off the year, Seattle's doing a nice job. Seattle's six and three and they haven't won a game since. And now they're six and seven and their season's on life support tonight up against the Philadelphia Eagles. We'll see if Jalen Hurts is going to play or not. So those are the two teams. And it's not just because they didn't meet expectations, right? Because, hey, the Jaguars could still make the playoffs. But just making the playoffs for Jacksonville isn't good enough anymore. You have a young core. You have a defense where Jonathan Allen in a contract year is having a career year. Trayvon Walker, even though he should have never been the number one overall pick, is starting to play better. You have uh, Rayshon Jenkins, who's a good defensive player. And you saw that last year up against the Cowboys. And he made a big play last night. Like, you got pieces here for the Jaguars. And now you're in a dogfight with two teams that aren't intimidated. Like the Texans, they just won yesterday without C.J. Stroud. And they weren't even playing Davis Mills. They were playing Case Keenum. And they still won that game. And you look at the Indianapolis Colts, not enough people are talking about Shane Steichen. Shane Steichen, right now, if the season were to end today and it doesn't, he's coach of the year. Because, like, the Texans, at least they have C.J. Stroud. You know, you can make a case for Kevin Stefanski, but they have more talent than the Colts. The Colts are playing Gardner Minshew. The Colts haven't had Jonathan Taylor for a big chunk of the season, contractually or lack of health. This Colts offensive line was garbage last year. Now they're playing at a really high level. 
Like, we didn't even think the Colts and Texans combined were going to have eight wins. They both have eight wins separately going into week 16. So you have two teams that are really playing with no pressure in the Texans and the Colts. They got nothing to lose in the final three weeks. Like, if those teams don't win another game the rest of the season, the Colts and the Texans, you know, we'll look back at it and we'll say, yeah, you know, they didn't take advantage of the opportunity, but, you know, they still had a really good year one. And for the Colts, oh, we can't wait to see what happens with uh, Anthony Richardson when he gets back and the Texans, oh, they're building something special. And I know that the Colts play the Texans in the final week of the season. But just for the sake of the argument, like if neither of those teams won another game this season, no one's crushing them. The Jaguars don't win the division. We're crushing them. Even if their landing spot is making the wild card, they better win a playoff game. Because then, then this is a season of regression. And for a team that has all the pieces, even though there's some questions on the defense, but the defense, they're having a guy like Jonathan Allen, uh, uh, Josh Allen show up. Even with some of the questions that were that were there with the defense before the season started, on offense, you got too much talent. And when you have Dougie P, who's won a Super Bowl, and Trevor Lawrence, who's supposed to be this ridiculous quarterback, right? This transcendent talent. It's one thing to lose all three games against the Chiefs, um, against the 49ers, and against the Ravens. But to not even be competitive... That is inexcusable. And Trevor Lawrence, who I still think could be a really great quarterback, when you get told for three years, and we all have to hear about you with what you did at Clemson, how you're going to be this and how you're going to be that, and how everyone needs to tank for Trevor, and you need to be this great quarterback, you got to play better. Now, year one, you got to pass. Urban Meyer was a joke and a total fraud as an NFL head coach. Year two, you played really well. But this year... This team hasn't taken the step forward. And they've been outscored 74 to 19 in their three biggest games of the season, which, oh, yeah, by the way, all three of those games were at home against the Chiefs, the 49ers, and the Ravens. Jacksonville Jaguars, I had high expectations for you. And there's a chance you don't even win the AFC South. They've been disappointing. And then as far as the Seattle Seahawks, they're disappointing, too. To start 6-3 and three and not win a game since, I know that people don't love Geno Smith. I know that we all loved the Geno Smith story last year, right? He wrote everyone, uh, everyone wrote him off, but he didn't write back. But Geno Smith is not the long-term answer for the Seattle Seahawks. But I can't even necessarily say that Geno Smith's the reason why they're losing all these games. Like, there was a stretch that some of these games are on him. But the game up against Dallas, your defense couldn't stop a nosebleed. And then at the end of the game, Gino couldn't get the ball in the end zone. But the score was like, what, 41-35? And then tonight, you get, what, the Eagles with Darius Slay out. Eagles, not a great team as of late, even though they're 10-3 back-to-back losses. Where you got blown out by the Cowboys and you got blown out by the 49ers. And we don't even know if Jalen Hurts, what, what the heck is he going to do tonight? Like, he had to travel on a different plane because he was sick. I guess he's going to play. I'll assume that Jalen Hurts is going to play, but we don't have clarity on that front yet. But for Seattle, you probably don't win this game tonight. And then even though your your schedule at the end of the season isn't tough the final three weeks of the season, you put yourself in a position where you can't afford to lose any of those final three games. Because you don't win tonight. You're sitting there at 6-8. and eight, And then the final three games of the season, you have Tennessee, Pittsburgh, 
and Arizona, where I can't sit here and, and confidently say that, yeah, all three of those teams are definitely guaranteed wins for the Seattle Seahawks because they haven't deserved your trust. Like, they allowed the Rams, the Rams to get back into this. And that's another thing. How about the LA Rams? Now it's 7-7. Seven and seven. But the Rams are now back in this, and the Rams could be a playoff team. And that was maybe the start of the turnaround for the Rams when they got that 17-16 to 16 victory up against Seattle a few weeks ago. You know, that was a really bad loss for the Seattle Seahawks. And they've never been able to recover since then. I get it. You're playing the Niners twice, and you had the Cowboys sandwich in between, and now you have the Eagles, so you had a, a step up in competition. But you needed to win that Rams game. You know, you win that game, you're already at seven wins. You just got to then find two more wins down the stretch. And that that would be done. But you see problems in Seattle. You know, they need a, a franchise quarterback. They just have a, a placeholder right now. And then when you look at the Jaguars going back to them, ultimately, it's like it's tough not to believe in Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson, like long-term, but this has not been an impressive performance. So, yeah, Jaguars are the team I'm most disappointed in, and then the Seahawks would be in at number two. Sam, they're just wondering, who's the team that you're most disappointed in in the NFL this season? We kind of forget about them because their coach was so horrific and he got fired so quickly. But the Los Angeles Chargers, I mean, yeah, I understand that maybe we weren't expecting them to win a Super Bowl. But with Justin Herbert, Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, Keenan Allen, and Austin Eckler, we expected them to at least contend for a playoff spot. They're 5-9. and nine. Yeah. I mean, they're bad. They're See, really bad. And you know what's so funny? You're exactly right. The Chargers have been one of the more disappointing teams in the NFL. But we've already have kind of just destroyed and tarred and feathered the Chargers for so long that we knew what the end result was. Like the Jaguars, we didn't know the end result would be them potentially not winning this division. For the Seahawks at 6-3, and three, you know, even though the last four weeks have been tough opponents, we never really have, like, talked down on the Seattle Seahawks. And it's just kind of the cycle of the season where we've already crushed the Chargers so much. You know what? We'll, we'll let them enjoy a Monday. <laughs> Especially how uh, Friday they, they fired their coach, and that's all we talked about for three hours. But you're not wrong. Uh, Los Angeles is definitely in that conversation. And the, now their next coaching hire is going to be enormous. And the Jets have been disappointing too, especially with all the hype was, but you chalk that up to the injury of the quarterback and Aaron Rodgers. Once Aaron Rodgers did go down, I think any sane human being realized the Jets were not going to be anything. And even some of the issues you've seen on defense, at the end of the day, like I I kind of knocked the Jets a little bit for their defense. But when you are required to constantly... No margin of error. Uphold a terrible offense, three and out, Mm. you... You, you hold the team to three and out, and then you go on the sideline, you get some oxygen, you're going over some notes, and boom, you're right back on the field. Turnover, fumble, three and out, block punt, whatever it is, that defense never had a chance to rest, and eventually it's just like, what else can we do? And you just kind of lose lose that focus, lose that hope, and lose that, that energy. Now, I do wonder, three weeks from now, where this conversation is going to be on who's the most disappointing team from the NFL. Because there's so many teams that are still in it. We have, like, what, four or five teams that are only eliminated right now? From the, from the playoff conversation and the separation, the AFC from like the two seed to the 11 seed is so minuscule. So there's going to be a lot of times in these next three weeks where we see a team that we think of them some type of way now and then they, they bottom out down the stretch. Well, and the inter- interesting thing is also, we talked about this a little bit last week, there's so much parity where you look at the Packers, six and eight. Is that a good year? Is that a bad year? We just don't really know. Vikings 7-7, seven seven, is that good, bad? Well, There's so l- many let me just answer are... that real quickly. Yes. The Packers, I don't think it matters what their win-loss record is. Like, the last two weeks have looked bad. 
It's how do you feel about Jordan Love at the end of the season? The Vikings, because they lost Kirk Cousins, I think, yeah, they should have won the game the other day against the Bengals. But for the most part, I don't think you could really complain much if you're a Vikings fan because you lost Kirk Cousins. Right, and I think that's part of it also is that you have so many teams that lost their quarterbacks, the Steelers, the Bengals, the Mm -hmm. Browns, the Colts, right? You have all these teams that lost their quarterbacks. The Raiders lost their quarterback and then went with a new quarterback. And everyone is, is kind of, you know, the Vikings, obviously. I, I can't give the, the Raiders losing the quarterback excuse. They had a dope as a coach and Jimmy uh, sure, G just but sucked. They, I'm just kind of going through the list of all the, I mean, the Cardinals not having mm. a quarterback for most. Yeah. So, like, it's hard to really, like, put your finger on it. Even the Giants, right? Like, kind of losing their quarterback, but they sucked even before they lost their quarterback. The Jets lost their quarterback. Yeah. The Patriots have... So, like, there's been so many, like, off-and-ons with quarterbacks being hurt that's hard to really put... Like, the Browns are 9-5. and five. You're ecstatic. The Steelers are 7-7. Seven seven, but, like, all right, you know, they fired their coach. Kenny Pickett got hurt. Mm-hmm. The Colts, 8-6. and six. How thrilled are you if you're a Colts fan? Because... Maybe they're maybe doing they're, somersaults in the street. Maybe, but then maybe Anthony Richardson comes back next year and, and he's not as good as they as Gardner yeah, Minshew. Yeah, but, but Gardner Minshew, Gardner Minshew, back. he's not a long term answer. Gardner Minshew is a guy that if you need him to play a full season as a backup quarterback, that's a competent backup quarterback. But when he becomes the guy for multiple years, yeah, I, I'm not trusting him. Sure, but what if the Colts, you know, take a back back step next year under Anthony Richardson, right? Well, you would think. So you have all this hype, but when you sure. have hype with a quarterback you know that's not going to be there, then that hype kind of dissipates a little bit. My, my concern about Anthony Richardson is in his individual ability or Shane Steichen not being able to put him in the right spot. It's just going to be can he stay healthy. Because remember, the first few weeks of the season, when he was healthy, he was electrifying. He was awesome to watch. But they were basically saying, run, 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 run with you, and then make a big play or two with your arm. It's just how many of those hits can you withstand? Like, you look at Lamar. Lamar runs the ball a lot. He doesn't usually take that. Like, I can't remember many times Lamar has taken a big, big hit. Outside of that time when he broke the uh, the rushing record for a quarterback, that was like the one time he took a big hit. And even Lamar still has dealt with the injuries, but a lot of them doesn't come when he's on the run. For Richardson, my concern's going to be they're asking him to put his body in an open field in so many times. So let's see how they maybe change that approach. But if you change that approach too much, then it takes away from his biggest strength as well. All right, he's at Gelb Show, CBS Sports Radio. Who's the most disappointing team in the NFL this season? 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. When we come on back, is Brock Purdy about to win the NFL MVP? T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. All right, this is Zach Gelb show on CBS Sports Radio. Stream the NFL and Westwood One for free. Sponsored by AutoZone. All season long, you can listen to every Westwood One broadcast of the NFL live on the NFL app by asking Alexa to open Westwood One Sports on the Odyssey app. Get in the zone, AutoZone. AutoZone's free battery testing and charging is available for free at your local AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Restrictions apply. You know, I got to give some credit to uh, Michael Santer. Santer, uh, I guess, was a little perturbed a few weeks ago. When he went to the company holiday party and they had all this food and then we gave him crap on the air and we were like, oh, you didn't bring us back any of the food. You're selfish. And then last week, 
Uh, there was some cookie here, and he, like, brought the cookie in. He goes, see, don't ever say on the air that I, I never uh, try to get you food or, or things like that. I look out for your well-being. And now there's pizza, I guess, in the newsroom, too. And Santa walks into the studio during the break. He's like, they have pizza in the newsroom. Do you want a slice? And I was like, no, I'm good. I don't want a slice today, but I appreciate you asking. But I will uh, inquire further here, Santa. What kind of pizza? Uh, was it just plain pizza? Yeah, just plain pizza. From a very famous, popular spot around this area. No, what, what pizza spot? Uh, Bleecker Street. Oh, okay. John's on Bleecker Street? Not John's. Or Bleecker uh, Street Pizza. Bleecker Street Pizza. Oh, okay. If it was John's on Bleecker Street, I would have said, all right, we'll uh, go to a break right now, and I would have uh, shimmied my fat ass out there and, what and got What about Joe's on Carmine? That's the one to go to. Eh. Oh, I'm a big Joe's, Joe's on Carmine. Joe's oh, is yeah. good. Joe's is good. Oh, yeah. I like Joe's. Um, John's on Bleecker Street is my, is, is my favorite slice in the city. You know, the pot, the pie that they do. Well done, thin crust, really good. Um, and then Prince Street Pizza does a really good uh, square pepperoni slice with those little pepperoni cups, which are to die for. Now, those are my two favorite slices. The city pizza, you know, sometimes a little overrated. I think Long Island pizza is better. Uh, 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 that, Connecticut pizza as well. Right there. New Haven pizza is very good. No, it's there's a lot of solid pizza uh, joints in New York City. I, I go to them a lot. I love pizza. But I do believe Long Island pizza is better. North Jersey pizza is better. Because the problem with the city is you have so many spots and so many tourist traps that you get some bad slice places where someone just walks in. They're like, oh, it's not that great of pizza. But there's like three or four spots in the city that are like unreal, you know, 9.5s out of 10s that are that are to die for. Let me just be clear with the way that, that I'm saying that. But anyway, uh, talking about unreal the San Francisco 49ers. Oh, what a lame, cheesy radio transition that was. But Brock Purdy is rocking out with this Brock out. Christian McCaffrey has been sensational as well. Here is Brock Purdy saying that run CMC should be running his way to the MVP race. Dude, I think I think Christian should be MVP. I think I, I really do believe that. You know, he does everything um, for us, runs the ball well, can catch the ball. He does everything. And so, in my eyes, that's an MVP. What else is Brock Purdy going to say there? Now, he's not going to be the guy that goes, I deserve the MVP award. But did you hear this, by the way? Jody McDonald tells me yesterday, and I on football, he made an MVP bet in the summer, in August, at 50-1 to 1 on Brock Purdy. That's why Jody Mack is an absolute legend. And that's why he's one of the great radio vets that this uh, game has ever seen, the radio game has ever seen. Because only Jody would be a degenerate gambler enough to find the Brock Purdy MVP odds, think about it, and go, you know what, 50 to 1 is a pretty damn good price. So that's a, that's a good job out of uh, Jody Mack. But there's a case to be made. You know, I don't think Tua's going to win it. To me, Tyree Kill is more valuable to the Dolphins than Tua Tungavailoa. And you look at the 49ers, personally, I believe Christian McCaffrey is more valuable to the 49ers than Brock Purdy, but... We know this has usually become a quarterback-driven award. No non-quarterback has won the award since 2012. A wide receiver has never won the award. And I saw these stats yesterday from our friends at NFL on CBS. Brock Purdy NFL rankings this season through 15 weeks of the season. Passer rating, one. Passing touchdowns, one. Passing touchdowns and interception ratio, one. Passing touchdowns uh, per attempt, one. Uh, yards per attempt, one. Yards per completion, one. Wins, one. 
So you could have an argument, should Brock Purdy be the MVP on his own team? And like I said, I would rather go with Christian McCaffrey over Brock Purdy. But since the quarterbacks get such a head start on the award, like if you had a 100-yard dash, we put all the quarterbacks at the 40-yard line and say, you just got to get to the end zone where everyone else is in the end zone or maybe in the locker room trying to chase into this MVP conversation. And Brock Purdy and the 49ers, in all likelihood, you know, they should have the number one overall seed. They should have the most wins in football. And their quarterback is like one in all these big uh, categories. Now, like you look at McCaffrey, he's got nearly 1,300 yards rushing. That's the, the most rushing yards in the league, and it's not even close. He's second in touchdowns, and he has a bunch of receiving yards as well. So there's an argument to be made for McCaffrey. I think there's an argument to be made for Tyree Kill. Dak Prescott is now out of the conversation out of as of yesterday. I don't think Tua is going to win the award. And you know the other person that needs to be thrown into the conversation too? And I know some people will look at his stats and they go, oh, they're not prodigious enough to win the MVP from when he last won it. But you just watch Lamar Jackson and you watch him last night. There's definitely an argument to be made, even if he doesn't have the best stats, that Lamar's the MVP of the NFL too. Because you look at the Ravens. What really intimidates you on their offensive side of the ball? You know, they lost J.K. Dobbins for the season. They lost Mark Andrews for the season. Keaton Mitchell, who was starting to play nice for them at running back, he's now done for the season. You know, Zay Flowers is a fine rookie. Odell Beckham Jr. starting to get back into the good graces and playing solid the last uh, few weeks. It's like you look around at the Ravens. You know, Rashad Bateman isn't anything all that special, but he was supposed to be a first-round pick coming out of Minnesota. You know, Isaiah Likely, the last few weeks, has got hot. Replacing Andrews and Lamar's got that connection. Like, you look at the Ravens just last night, how many times Lamar Jackson turned garbage into gold? And yeah, I get it. He's 15th in passing yards right now, 17 in passing touchdowns. You know, I, I understand the stats aren't awesome, but then he's, he has nearly 1,000 yards rushing and then, what, five rushing touchdowns as well? So, what, 22 total touchdowns I think that is for Lamar? You know, I understand it's not nearly what he did when he won the MVP, when he threw for 36 passing touchdowns. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, uh, when you look at the rushing numbers for Lamar Jackson that year, he ran for over 1,200 and seven other uh, touchdowns on the ground. So it's not like that. But this dude is one of the more valuable players in the NFL. So long answer short, if I was voting, I would still probably go either Tyree Killer, Christian McCaffrey. I don't think either are going to win the MVP. And Tyreek not playing yesterday did hurt him because for Tyreek, he needs to get to 2,000 to probably win that MVP because of how tough it is to give it to a non-quarterback. But this is probably coming down to, I would say, Brock Purdy and how many votes Brock Purdy and Christian McCaffrey split. And then Lamar is going to be in that conversation as well. But right now, going into the final three weeks of the season, I do feel with the stats that Brock has, that Brock is going to win the uh, the NFL MVP. And it's wild because right before the start of the season, we were debating, is he more so a game manager or is he a great quarterback? And it shows you how irrelevant that term game manager is because you could put Brock Purdy on some other teams and he's not going to have the success that he's having in San Francisco, but he's playing at a great level. He's taking advantage of his opportunity. And I don't think he gives a rat's ass about the MVP. It'd be a nice accolade to have. But that 49ers team is going to be the toughest out of the postseason. And that's the big question mark as we embark on the final three weeks of the regular season. Is anyone going to have what it takes in the big moment in the postseason 
to knock out the San Francisco 49ers. So right now, I do believe Brock's going to win the MVP. How about you? 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. We'll take a break. We do this segment every Monday and Friday on CBS Sports Radio. Santa's got a few questions for me. I'll give you a few answers. We call it onside, offside. But first up, standing by with the latest CBS Sports Radio update, here he is, Emmanuel Babari. All right, this is Zach Gelb show on CBS Sports Radio. We'll do onsides, offside in just a second. 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. Talking NFL MVP. Uh, let's go to Dexter in Pennsylvania next up on CBS Sports Radio. Dex, what's happening? Uh, Dieter, like, sorry uh, about that. Dieter, go ahead. Yeah, I'd like to uh, see McCaffrey win it. Uh, very important player for uh, San Fran. But uh, with Purdy, I believe the games that they won with McCaffrey, if he wasn't in, they'd still be been close games. I think able to still won. And as you said earlier, uh, they're already uh, uh, quarterback already starting on the 40, so they're already getting lead votes. So I believe it will be Purdy. All right, Adita, appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much. You know, McCaffrey, to me, is the player that the 49ers opponents are going to be the most intimidated by. Like, that's the... They have so many game changers on that team, but that's the number one game changer. But when you know what the award is usually given out to, and you have this quarterback who has the most wins, probably going to be the number one overall seed, and is number one in all these categories, I have a tough time at this rate not seeing... Uh, Brock Purdy get it. Now, I know that there was a three-game stretch where there was no Trent Williams, no Debo Samuel, and Brock Purdy didn't play all that great. You know, that did kind of give some more life to the system quarterback, more so than a franchise quarterback. But when you sit here now with three weeks left in the season, he's like number one in every quarterback uh, category or the majority of them. Yeah, I don't trust the voters to give it to a non-quarterback, something they haven't done since 2012. And that's the same. Brock Purdy isn't deserving. He's definitely deserving of it. He just would not get my vote on his own team, let alone the vote to win the NFL MVP, even though I think the voters are going to give it out to him. He's in the top five. He should be in the top three or four names that you think of. But personally, I would go after Tyreek Misson um, a game last week and probably not get into 2000. I would, at this rate, if I had a vote, I would go run CMC, but I do think Brock's going to win the award. All righty, we got some questions. We got some answers. Let's go to onside, offside. Stu, hit it. Zach's taking on the most polarizing issues in sports. Which side of the line of scrimmage will he end up on? Offside. Defense number 69. It's Onsides, Offsides with Zach Gelb on CBS Sports Radio. All righty, Stamter, what do you got for me? All right, we're going to go back a couple days to Saturday when the Lions responded back by beating their first winning team since week one. By the way, I had an elite Saturday. Elite. I went to the Poconos, went to my favorite wing joint, uh, BVH. I had the Johnny Hot Wings, which are delicious. I had jalapeno poppers. I saw the pictures of the hot wings oh, on your Twitter, so and I was thinking to myself, where are those? Because they look delicious. Yeah, they were in the Poconos. Oh, that sounds amazing. Um, Did I you bring a, me back some? No, I, I didn't. Uh, first off. Wings all, are not great reheated. All my friends were taking wings to go after we already ate the wings, and I, I said no. As much as I love these wings, I don't think wings travel well, and then it's tough to reheat them, and really I don't want tough. that to be your first impression of this great place, one of my favorite wings ever. 
with it being reheated like air fried wings like the next day or two or is that what you're taking more. Stu and I for our dinner we're gonna have like a trip out to the Poconos <laughs> rent a nice resort go we, out for some wings we are going for dinner on Thursday a little Zach Gelb show holiday dinner but we're staying local but I had jalapeno poppers I had mozzarella sticks I had nachos these uh it's just delicious pork nachos, pulled pork nachos. And then we had the wings. And then, Samter, I know you're a big foodie. They make these homemade ice cream pies. And one was Oreo and the other was peanut butter to die for. Some of the best dessert I've ever had. Anything Oreo, cookies and cream, I'm, I'm all in for. Yeah, it's, like it's anything ice, Oreo. It was, so it was ice cream Oreo <laughs> and then it was ice cream peanut butter. And there was a bunch of other crap that gets uh, put in uh, homemade by my, my guy Johnny over at BBH. You know what the weird thing is? I don't care how cold it is outside. I'm always down for ice cream. Always. It could be negative 10 degrees, and I'm still going in for you know some cookies and cream or mint chocolate chip. Especially for football. I don't know. There's just something about me that when I'm eating food, whenever I'm watching football, at some point, regardless of what you're doing, it always ends with, okay, I need some ice cream. But you know, hot wings and cold ice cream is a perfect combination. Yeah. Kind of help quell the mouth afterwards. I could probably use a Pepto-Bismol endorsement, too, coming up. <laughs> well, let's get back to the Lions, who beat their first winning team since week one when they beat the Chiefs. They crushed the Broncos 42-17. to Jared Goff threw for 278 yards and five touchdowns just days after Cam Newton called him a, quote, game manager. Yeah. So onside, offside, you have faith in Goff to lead this offense in the playoffs. To where, though, in the playoffs? To be the guy who can win games with his arm when it matters in the playoffs. Win games? All right, then it's an offside for me. I do believe the Lions are going to win their first playoff game since 1991. I think they will win on wild card weekend, but then you will see some of the shortcomings of Jared Goff in the divisional round. I don't think they get past the divisional round. Uh, Goff has had some moments before, played a good second half of that NFC title game up against the Saints, and then crapped the bed two weeks later in the Super Bowl up against the uh, the Patriots when Sean McVay and, and Jared Goff only had three points in that game. Uh, but I, it's just not week-to-week confidence in a big moment that I believe in him. One game, one playoff win, sure. Multiple, uh, no way, Jose. I don't think so, so I'll go offside. Now, we mentioned them earlier. The Bucks stayed tied atop the NFC South of the Saints thanks to their massive 34-20 win over the Packers. Baker Mayfield made history in the game, becoming the first visiting quarterback ever to post a perfect QB rating at Lambeau, throwing for 381 yards and four touchdowns. Now, onside, offside, Baker Mayfield has done enough this year to be the Bucs' starting quarterback again next year. I would say onsides, but depending on the contract. If Baker is delusional enough to think he's getting a big payday, then I would say, okay, let me go find my next franchise quarterback, because I still think... Baker is a placeholder, and I don't think you just get rid of him to just get rid of him. And maybe you draft a quarterback, but then yet again, you're not going to have a good enough draft pick. So maybe you do what the Bills and the Chiefs did a few years ago, and you work your way uh, up the uh, first round or, or back down the first round, and, and you find a way to trade uh, up towards the you know a top 10, top 15 pick and do something like that. But I would keep it status quo if I'm the Bucks, depending on what Baker Mayfield wants next year. And as long as the money isn't outrageous, I would say, yeah, he's done enough this year to be the uh, Bucks starting quarterback next year on sides. Now, my Chiefs got back to, their, to the winning ways, beating the, pa- the Patriots, your, your Patriots. 27-17, we should have put a pregame bet on this. Your Chiefs. Yeah, I know. I, I, I wouldn't bet for the Patriots to win because I think the Patriots suck. 
we could have gone with like some sort of a prop bet or something that could have made everybody happy. But whatever. yeah, you know what? If I would have said thirty total team points for the Chiefs, I would have probably said I'll go the under on that because Kansas City's offense is problematic, and the Patriots at least have a solid defense. Very good defense. Now, Kadarius Tony had another rough game, catching yeah. just two passes for five <laughs> yards and dropping a pass that turned lined up correctly, into though, a time. Patriots interception, bounced right off his hands. Yeah. Mahomes was visibly frustrated on the sidelines after the catch or after the play, and then after the game, Andy Reid said he still had faith in Tony. Yeah, we'll just we'll see how things go. I'm, I'm not down on Tony. Um, he does some good things, man. So we just got to keep – he's a young guy, Adam, so we're, we're not talking about – Somebody that uh, has been in this league a long time. So that sounds very, uh, very big vote of confidence right there from Andy Reid. Yeah, but he always sounds like that. He does some things. Anyway, onside, offside, the Chiefs are better off benching Tony at this point. So I understand he made two big plays in the Super Bowl. Had the punt return and then on that uh, crazy play that they designed up, he, he caught a touchdown pass for like two or three yards. But just two plays in the Super Bowl should not give you this much freedom and allow you to make this many mistakes and keep on going back to the wall. But it shows you how bad the Chiefs are at wide receiver that they have to keep on going back to the Kadarius Tony. well. Um, I would say, yeah, the Chiefs are better off benching Tony. I'd go on sides because you can't trust him to line up offsides. You can't trust him to catch the football. You're going to beat the Patriots yesterday regardless of who you put out there. But he's cost them two games this year. The one two weeks ago against the Bills, and then the one in the to open up the season up against the uh, Detroit Lions. But uh, the Chiefs keep on telling you nothing to see here. You're all a bunch of idiots. You're all a bunch of morons. It's kind of like when you have a friend that unfortunately has a problem, and you keep on saying, oh, they'll get better, they'll get better, they'll get better, but you know that they're not doing anything to better themselves. That's kind of what Kadarius Tony is right now. They keep on saying he'll get better, but I don't see him actually getting better, and he keeps on costing this team, and it is probably fitting that this will end in the playoffs with Kadarius Tony getting the ball thrown to him and either bouncing off his brick hands and going to the other team or him catching the ball, making a big play, like running 30 yards and then fumbling the ball as the defender was trailing him to cost uh, Santos Chiefs a game. Now, thanks to their 28-20 victory over Washington, the Rams have won four of their last five and sit 7-7, seven seven, which would give them the final playoff spot in the NFC. The 6-7 and seven Seahawks have lost four straight and host the Eagles tonight. Onside, offside, the Rams are the second-best team in the NFC West. Yeah, right now, I don't like the direction that the Seahawks are trending to. And a few weeks ago, you saw the Rams beat the Seahawks by one point. So I don't get how you would uh, argue that they aren't the second-best team right now in the NFC West. So I would say onsides. And uh, Cooper Cup has been sensational and healthy. Puka Nakua has been really damn good this year. He would have won Rookie of the Year if it wasn't for... C.J. Stroud, Matthew Stafford still slinging the ball strong. You have Aaron Donald. Like, outside of that, there's not like a lot of names that people know about the Rams, but Sean McVay is a good coach, and they got that second wide receiver in there. Kyron Williams done a nice job as long as he could hold on to the football. I know he struggled with that yesterday, but they got a team that's the second best in the NFC West, and you look at the Seahawks, they have all this talent, but they're not trying to, they're not being the team that we thought they could be and looking like they could take that next step with the way that we thought they were going to before the season did commence. Now, after UCLA's win over Boise State in the L.A. Bowl, I'm sure you were glued to your TV for that one, Chip Kelly was asked what the biggest problem in college football was and how to solve it, and Kelly gave this interesting answer. We should all be independent in football. You can have a 64-team conference that's in the Power Five, and you can have a 64-team conference in the Group of Five, and we separate it, and we play each other. And then every year we play seven games against the West Coast teams, and then we play the East. So we play Syracuse, Boston College, Pitt, West Virginia, Virginia. 
Then the next year you play against the South while you still play your seven teams. And so there's 132 teams and we all share the same TV contract. That money now needs to be shared with the student athletes and there needs to be revenue sharing. The players should get paid. And the fact that they don't get paid is really the biggest travesty. Now, outside offside, Chip Kelly's idea of one super conference is the best plan with all this crazy realignment. Well, football is different than every other sport in, in college. And football at most schools drives the train and you make financial decisions for football that may not be better for all the other sports that are getting played at that school. So I, I kind of like that idea. I do think eventually we'll trend that way or maybe it'll be truncated from five power five conferences down to three. But it does feel like it's the haves and the have-nots. And I say this as someone that went to a smaller football school. I used to always advocate for the little guy to have a seat at the table. But as a non-biased college football fan, yeah, you could just throw together, what, the best, he said, 64 teams, 65 teams, whatever it is, and make them the haves and everybody else is the have-nots. And you move forward that way. And it doesn't sacrifice all the other sports when you're trying to continue to compete in Division One, with the, everything just being so football-driven. So you asked me, Chip Kelly's idea of one super conference is the best plan moving forward. I think it's the best long-term plan, yeah, on sides. Right, we're not going to have a lot of time for this last one, but Lincoln Riley and USC have a lot of issues. Yeah. And now that Caleb Williams is probably gone, we all thought Malachi Nelson, the former five-star number one overall recruit, would be their guy. Nelson just applied and put himself into the transfer portal. So onside, offside, Lincoln Riley will be able to rebound and consistently contend for a Big Ten title. So he was, he had a made for him at, at Oklahoma, and then he left, and he couldn't win a, a college football playoff game. Then he goes to the Pac-12 with maybe one of the all-time great college players that we've seen in terms of where the hype was and then where the draft projection was. And last year he wins the Heisman, couldn't even get to the college football playoff. They choked in the Pac-12 championship game, and this year they didn't even come close to competing for the Pac-12 championship. So now you're going to a tougher conference? Yeah, I don't believe in Lincoln Riley, and I don't believe in him winning a Big Ten title at USC. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.